Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to UVA 39-30. I'm sufficiently bummed out, Robbie. How are you feeling? Depends. Uh, now, I'm sufficiently even-keeled. Uh, it was not good right after the game, but I'm doing a little bit better now. We'll leave it at that. All right, why don't you give us a cheers and get us kicked off? Yeah, I'll do one that's people aren't going to like. I'll give a big cheers to uh, Perkins for UVA. Boo. And yeah, yeah, everybody can boo me. I don't really care. But I, it doesn't really matter. I He played a terrific game early on and a very terrific game later on. He was basically the only reason that they had an offense for the entire game. And I'll give a big cheers I think to the Virginia tech team. I know it was a rough season. The ups and downs, the ebbs and flows were, were brutal. And it was a good game. And so I cheers to a really good football game. I know it didn't end up and the score is a little bit lopsided just given what happened towards the end. But I tweeted out and I said, this is just a really fun football game. So the Virginia Tech team came out, they played hard, and it's got to suck for them. And that 15 years of beating UVA all coming to an end has to be rough on them, but I hope they keep their heads held high and we move into the bowl game and the off season and next year ready to uh, punch some peoples in the mouth. Cheers. Cheers to them and cheers to the streak. Yeah, it was it was tough to take on Friday. Uh, I think on Saturday I was starting to get into recovery mode, but I was still like pretty ticked off. And we kind of joked back and forth: is how has UVA been dealing with fifteen years of this feeling? Because <laughs> it's a horrible feeling to lose your last game of the season uh, and and have to wait a month or more to go to your bowl game and get that taste out of your mouth. It has sucked. And I'm still, even today, like I've kind of woken up every day and, you know, get the coffee going. And then I kind of think about the game for like a couple minutes and I'm just like, that really sucked. (laughs) And that'll, that'll probably start to fade as the week goes on, but I'm still thinking about it. I I joked on Twitter that I knew I picked a hobby that kind of reflects my self-hate and the (laughs) self-punishment that I do by having to rewatch because I watch every game and so do you. We rewatch every game to make sure that we have all the film analysis and whatever we can take from the game. And these are the games that are most punishing yeah. where it's self-inflicted and we're just happy here to put out a podcast that you guys hopefully like because it hurts really bad to watch the game. I wish I could be one of those people that just like, yeah, we'll just put that in the corner. I was watching it today just to go over the second half again. And, and I think I was becoming like just a little bit ill, not like I was going to throw up just like feeling gross. And I'm like, I think it's the game. I think the game is making (laughs) me sick. There was, I think the pick game last year was one that rewatch. That was real fast forward, man. Like I, I, that one didn't get so much analysis because we were already having such a bad year, but this one, there was a lot that went on a lot of, calls that could have gone one way or another penalties mistakes whatever situations that you wanted to watch again and uh 
yeah, you knew the ending, so it sucked. But it was fun to see some of the highlights again. But let's hop into these news and notes, and we'll get into the game. The AP poll came out yesterday, or I should say Sunday. LSU was number one in that poll, and Utah was number five. If you move to this college football playoff rankings, Ohio State was number one, Utah also five, with Oklahoma just behind them at six. So we've been talking about this just the last few days about who we want to see in the playoff and what it's ultimately going to mean. Well, Georgia could screw it up for Utah and everybody else that's trying to get in uh, if they happen to beat LSU because a lot of people think that they would stay in even if they – and LSU would also stand, so you get two SEC teams in there. How do you feel about how the playoffs is going to play out this week, and who are you rooting for? I think I did bring this up, but I'm I'm on the Utah train. I want to see them go into the playoff. I want to see a, a new team, and just to mix it up a little. I, we still have the same core teams that are a part of the playoff. LSU, it was funny, on the cover two, I was listening on the way home from work, they were talking about like LSU, it feels like a, it, it should be a new team, but it's really not. They won a national championship. I think what, 2007, something like definitely that. Definitely 2007. Like, and they were undefeated in 2011, but then lost in the title. Right. Yeah. So it, it's there. They are a core team that, uh, I just want to see somebody else get a shot at the playoff and maybe Utah gets blown out. And I'm totally comfortable with seeing that, but I would rather see that than watching Georgia hold somebody to nine points and going back into, you know, that that game that everybody talks about and that SEC kind of 6-3 game that, you know, what was it, Alabama and... Was it Alabama? It was Alabama LSU, wasn't it? Was it was nine six, yes. That, oh, but that was, six. I think, that was the regular season game in that okay. same season that LSU ended up losing to them, like twenty to twenty to six or something in the championship. Yeah. I just want some fresh blood, yeah, invigorate college football fans. And Utah, like, if you would take a stance one way or the other in Utah, that is a very difficult stance <laughs> as a fan. Like, who are you rooting for? Is their their main rival is BYU, isn't it? Or yeah. like, it, yeah. I think that's it. You really can't have a stance against Utah. It would be great to see them get in, and if they keep a close game against any one of these three top teams that we know are getting in, that would be fun. Yeah, I, I agree with you. New blood's always fun, and what we got last weekend when Alabama lost is we are assured now that Clemson won't play Alabama in the playoff. So Thank that's God. that's kind of nice, even though those matchups were pretty epic. We were all kind of tired of seeing that. Uh, I would like to see Jalen Hurts get in just to see if he could do it with another team, and he's fun to watch. But if you know, if I had to pick one, I'm probably rooting for Utah just because it's different. And, and Kyle Woodingham seems like a good guy, and that program has been – slowly but surely chopping wood and just getting better and better and better since they joined the Pac-12, and it would be awesome for them to get in. For the ACC, UVA did get ranked by beating us. So they are now number 23. We obviously dropped out of both rankings, and even if they get crushed by Clemson, I would suspect they will be sitting at that 25 spot or higher. There, There's no way that the committee would drop them all the way out, especially with a four-loss Oklahoma State occupying a spot right now. No, I would agree with that. They're Clemson, if you look at their past, past scores, they've beaten everybody 
<laughs> we joked earlier on our podcast about me taking the Clemson over, which was just a no brainer. And the one week I didn't do it, I lost. And yeah. I think it was a 28 and a half point spread or something like that. So nobody's expecting them to do much. I can't imagine them dropping very far, if at all, if they get blown out, which everybody is expecting yeah. them. They'd, to. they'd have to lose like 63 to, to six or something to, to fall out of the rankings. And even then who knows that they still might just hang on to the 25 spot, but they're probably going to the orange bowl is my point in saying that we know it's a little bit rankings dependent. And if they were to fall out, I think it gives the orange bowl, the leeway to choose Virginia tech or wake forest. I believe that's how it works. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's something to consider. If you notice the score is 70 to nothing at some point in that Clemson game. Um, Let's move on to the next thing, and we'll get more into the rankings and stuff later on and talk about the bowls and also the defensive coordinator I want to get into later as well. But for now, the Hokie Hoops team, they played Michigan State last week. We talked about the big win on the podcast, almost like a live reaction. They lost their next two games after that. So Dayton was a tough matchup, and then the BYU game, we were hanging in, hanging in, and it just felt like they were going to get the best of us and they ended up getting the best of us. And so we're, now we're back on the on the mainland and we have a game this weekend against Duke and we're off. We've basically been off since we lost the BYU game. Duke has to play Michigan State I think tomorrow night. Yeah, the, it's not a great setup for them. I think we just gassed ourselves in that Michigan State game. That was just such a high bar. They played so well and to get that win it makes it tough and they both those teams that they played, Dayton is exceptional. That is an exceptional basketball team. They were lights out. They're good. I didn't watch the BYU uh, game at all, but I I can't hate on it. You got a big win. That's a huge, and I think Michigan State jumped up to like number one after there was another loss. It, it was it was an exceptional thing. And we fell off a little bit, but it's all good. We're we're back on the mainland, ready to take on some ACC opponents. Yeah, Michigan State was the number one ranked team in Ken Palm, even after we beat them. Then they dropped down to number two at some point last week. And then Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin, <laughs> and they moved back to number one. But I, I'm not sure where they are now, but in the, in the AP poll, I think it's 10 versus 11 for that Duke and Michigan State game. And so we'll get our chance to knock off another ranked team this Friday. I, I'm i not optimistic, but, hey, we play Duke well, especially at home. Uh, we we usually give them hell. So I'm, I'll be watching, and I'll be hoping that we can pull off another big upset. Maybe this young team will just go crazy from the three-point line again, and we'll, we'll do it. And it would be no, no better team for it to happen against than Duke. So I'm looking forward to that game on Friday night. I'm more optimistic just to see the continued development of the program. So this is that win is far and away above what anybody expected for this program. Nobody thought that that was actually possible. So we all need to kind of calm down, (laughs) realign to what we expected for the year and see the team develop because that's what it's going to take. The pick and winner this week was Jonathan May. He finished with 11 correct, and he tied with Tate Wilkerson and Zach Neal with that 11. But with that 11, he had just done it the previous week. He was, a, I think, a weekly winner, and he is in first overall for the season. So, Jonathan May, congratulations. You won the pick'em. 
you've got the warmest white claw we could find <laughs> that will send you in the mail. Um, there may be something else with that for for a little trophy action for you. But well, at least yeah, put he, some koozies in there, if nothing else. And then yeah, we'll, find... we'll throw some koozies in there for sure. The um, percentage that he finished with was like 58% correct for the year, which is really, really good. Uh, that is, and I know we talked about the thing with the pushes counting for wins, but it's still an incredible total of 58%. Uh, he, he he jokingly sent a message to us last night. He said, if it was for any money, I would have come in last place. <laughs> <laughs> but to put that in perspective, that is ridiculous. If you look at really, really other than Colby Dant and those guys that in gambling sports podcasts, if you don't listen to them, you should. But for most people, you're just trying to get to like the 54, 55% on the games that you want to pick. These are forced picks, and that yeah. changes everything. You don't get to choose what you're picking. So uh, that that may not seem like a, a high bar to hit, but it's pretty incredible. When you're picking 15 games a week that you don't necessarily love, that that's it's good. And the funny thing was, pretty sure the last two weeks for, for Jonathan, the 11 was the best he did all year. He just consistently got like 8, 9, 10, 8, 9, 10 over and over again. So... He he didn't have like bad weeks and really good weeks. He was consistent the entire year. And the last thing I had as the news and notes was there was no Caleb Farley for the UVA game, which we were not aware of. He was dealing with back spasms apparently for a little while, kept him out of the game, but it didn't prevent him from being named to first team all ACC. And Ashby, our stud linebacker, got put on the second team and it's not as if there's one linebacker on the first team, you know, there's three linebackers. So technically Ashby finished fourth. Yeah. I was, I was a little bit ticked off about it, but it's just, I, I haven't gone back and looked at the games that Ashby was off when he five times. So we, there's 14 games in an, an ACC season, right? 14 altogether weeks. We yeah. only played 12 of them. And in five of the 12 that we played, he was named ACC linebacker of the week that is unprecedented and it just goes to show that the people that are voting for these things change it's like the people that vote for heisman is different than the people that vote for acc so i get it and i'm not going to take anything away and i said this as much from the other linebackers I, I, there's a ton of really great talent i just don't know how you go all a you know the best linebacker in the in the ACC five weeks out of twelve, and then don't make the first team like the, that that math does not work because even if the other two like did somebody else get seven and then he would be number two did like so either the voting during the season was off or the voting at the end was off that doesn't really make it doesn't marry up to me. Well, there, there's the thing that you could have good weeks individually, but maybe on the whole you didn't add the stats as much. But Ashby was also pretty much right there in total tackles. Surratt had more solo tackles, and other guys had some different stats. You know, like you said, it, it was probably by a hair. He was probably the fourth, and it's not a super big deal. But I'm I'm happy that he got on the team uh, at all. It was cool. And Farley making first team from a guy who was struggling like crazy at the beginning of his career to where he is now just a short time later is amazing and we we really could have used him 
in the UVA game. <laughs> we could, I think we can all agree that it might have turned out differently had Caleb Farley been able to play. Yep, I agree. Let's get into the game recap. And I, I know that this is going to be a little bit painful for the listeners, but we kind of just have to do this because there's so many things that happened that I, I want to make sure we don't like miss something that you wanted to react to or, or vice versa. But right out the gates, UVA went right down the field on the first drive of the game, courtesy of a few Bryce Perkin runs. He broke off a long one to go up 6 nothing, but they did miss the extra point. We punted on our first drive, but we intercepted Perkins and converted that into a field goal after the failed jet sweep to make it 6-3. to Perkins then went streaking down the field again, this time 67 yards for the TD, making it 13-3. to And I wasn't feeling so good at that point. Did you have like this sense in your gut that the game might be different this year? Yeah, absolutely. And I knew Bud was going to correct, and he did. So, you know, not to preview the rest of the preview that you're about to do, but I I knew he was going to correct. I was just so frustrated that we knew exactly what they were going to do and we didn't put it on the field to react to it or we did. And I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not good enough at that reviewing film to know whether the players were in the wrong position or the calls weren't right, but we knew exactly what they were going to do. And that, that gave me a feeling in my stomach that I was, I said, we're, we're already in the hole was basically where I was. And I said that as much going into to halftime and you know, it was, it was rough. So they're up 13 to three. Then on our next possession, Trey fumbles. So it's, it's starting to really look bad, but that's when the defense started to ratchet up their play a little bit. Four plays later, they punted and we actually held them to three, three and outs the rest of the half. We put up a field goal after an almost INT to make it 13-6 to at the half. To start the third quarter, went right down the field, 75-yard drive, capped it with a 34-yard run by Hooker, doing a little Bryce Perkins impression on that play, tied the game at 13. Our D held UVA to a couple more three and outs, and we scored a touchdown on a 71-yard drive and went up 20-13. to I think that was the McLeese run. UVA finally fired back after, like, I think it was five straight three and outs, and they never stopped firing back after that. Perkins hit Kemp for the TD, capping a 79-yard drive. We responded with a 61-yard pass to Turner, which was an awesome play. Unfortunately, UVA answered right back with a TD two minutes later, making it 27-27. to We were held to our field goal in our next drive. Johnson nailed the 47-yard kick. It was his season long, so that was nice. But UVA got the long catch and run by Dubois, and that set up the first and goal. The D stiffened, to their credit, held them to a field goal, so it's 30-30 to at this point. And our next drive started so well. We got a couple first downs, and then we had a drop by Trey. You can call it a drop or a deflection, I don't know. And then multiple penalties, and that led to a third and 19. Hooker dropped back. Yeah, that was the interception. And so it's still tied. But now we've given UVA more yardage than they deserve because of the interception. They got into field goal range. Their kicker nailed a 48-yarder. And when I say get into field goal range, I guess right on the edge of field goal range. They, they were really just right there. And he nailed that kick to go up 33-30. to 30. We could all kind of sense that it, this wasn't going to end well. But we did have a last shot. We got the ball back with over a minute left. But they just teed off on us. It was sack. We got backed up, and then we're in the end zone. Hooker fumbles the football and another sack. 
UVA recovers and our fate was sealed. They didn't even kick the extra point for fear that we might block it and be able to keep the game a little bit closer. Uh, 39-30, UVA final. First win in 16 years. First likely New Year's Six Bowl since 1998 when they went to the Peach Bowl. That's 20 years ago, 21. Seventh Coastal Champ in seven years. And UVA's first division title. And all of that is extremely painful to say. I I just can't believe we let that perfect circle of coastal teams happen. And the last one happens against us and it's UVA. I thought it was bad watching it on film, but when you recount the whole thing, I don't know what else to do here other than just the hop into the offense and the defense and talk about the game. I can say that it was, it was painful. It was a great game. And we made some mistakes that cost us a lot of points. And there were two penalties in particular, both meaningful for both teams, that were bullshit. And I said as much, you know, as the game was happening. It was rough. It was yeah. it was rough to watch. It was rough. I thought the story of the game was UVA never backing down. Even when we took the lead a couple times, they came right back quickly and tied the game up and they really played out of their minds. And I think it was their best game of their season, maybe their best game of the last two seasons. And I'd like to think and say that they won the game more than we lost it. No, I I can agree with that. And that's why people won't like it, but my cheers was to Perkins. I mean, he played an awesome game, you know, (laughs) One of the things that is always so funny is how people take losses. And if you can't just credit somebody for a good game, then I don't know what the hell you're doing watching the sport. So he had a great game. He, he delivered by himself, literally the first two touchdowns for UVA. He had a lot of really good throws. Even a lot of his throws were good that our secondary kind of shot down. It was, it was a great game for, him, I, I did not come away from this game. I'll go through the all the points that we left out there that would have made this a different scenario, but I don't think of it as a scenario where we lost the game. I think they won it, just to your point. Yeah, and, and Perkins, in addition, just the team being at their best, Perkins was at his best. 475 of the 492 total yards they had came from him. 164 yards rushing, three total touchdowns. His first five carries went for 137 yards. (laughs) That's more than we gave up in the Pitt and GT game combined rushing yards. 246 of his passing yards came after halftime. So we do the adjustments, and then he goes out and basically passes for the best half of his college career. It, It really was one of those... Blake Larusa type days, and and Perkins is a good player. I, Larusa didn't have nearly the career that Perkins did. I'm just I'm using that kind of as a joking example. Is he played fantastic? He played the absolute best game he ever could have played. He hit throws he never normally hits, and it came at the biggest moment. And so that guy is a true stud. And especially with the way he screwed up last year's game, fumbling the ball in overtime, I'm not going to say I'm happy for him. But I think it's cool for him the way it happened. Yeah. 
and I'll hit one more and we'll get into a lot of the stats here. But with the story of the game, we said, I believe we said this on the podcast. If not, I just texted it to you a bunch of times. Don't make this game emotional. It's a business trip. Go win. Like, make this a business trip. And the fighting on the sidelines, the like, and not fighting, I shouldn't use that. The, the pushing around on the sidelines, the shoving, everything, it played into their hands. They knew that this was an emotional game for us. But to that end, the Hokie team is young. They're susceptible to that kind of thing. This isn't a team that's won four times against, you know, UVA, year in, year out. They can treat it that way. So mm-hmm. that's why I was so worried about the emotions in this game. But I'm also not blaming anybody. Like, that's just the way it goes. When you have a young team, they're more susceptible to it. So for me, that was the story of the game. It's what we talked about beforehand. It became emotional, and it ended up to our detriment. Yeah. Going from Perkins, let's talk about the defense. And they did let us down a little bit in this one. Not having Farley was huge. We've already said that. But 8.5 yards per play, uh, that's an incredible amount of yards per play. It's the fifth most given up in the past 10 years. That's 132 games. It was the fifth most yards per play we've given up, regardless of opponent, against anybody. And so it things went haywire they went haywire big time and uva got big play after big play i mean we out first downed them it was like 25 to 14 or something and you normally do not see a team that gets 11 more first downs the other team lose it happens so rarely because uva was just breaking off big play after big play and when we dropped our linebackers early in the game there was gaping holes for perkins to run through i'm not sure why that was the strategy I really don't know why. Uh, but then once we corrected it, he was able to go over the top. And Dubois went off the receiver. He had 139 yards on four receptions, and including the one where he's like dragging Armani Chapman down the field and like sh- flung him off of his body. That was not good. We did hold them to a field goal on that after that, but that was an embarrassing play. Uh, just four tackles for loss and two sacks on the defense. Diablo, you look at the tackle numbers, 11 tackles. That looks great. But he made a lot of mistakes in this game. It was tough. I, I feel like the second quarter, maybe the middle of the second quarter, in the third quarter were really lights out for the defense, like in what they were doing, the way they corrected. The begin, the first quarter, I don't even want to rehash because it was <laughs> the first two plays were so bad. And then the fourth quarter, we let it go again. And UVA switched their style. I mean, they they adjusted the way that we adjusted. It was, they came out, had Bryce Perkins running. We weren't either prepared or in the proper position for it. They got a bunch of gashes on us. We shut that down. They pivoted and they went to the pass. So it's a it was a well-called game for them. I mean, I, I don't know what else you can actually say. Like, they took what we had, and Bryce Perkins is not the best passer in the entire world. He's an amazing runner, but he's not. And they found gaping holes in the secondary. On a number of passes that people were wide open. The touchdown oh, pass, the touchdown pass, we had two people in coverage, both five yards apart from the, 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 from the wide receiver, for that that pass, I can't remember who it was for UVA that scored it. 
that was brutal. There was there was at least four passes where we were just completely out of position. And I think we we did what we had to as a Virginia Tech defense, that we were trying to shut down something and we opened up something else and they took advantage of it. And Bryce Perkins made a lot of good passes on on that. He did. Um, and and part of me wonders too. I I think we know Farley would have made a difference, but some of the passes were so good that even if the coverage was more perfect, they still might have hit the receiver. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I do think been, it wouldn't it. have been for like 20 more yards after catch. It would right. have been, but it would have been caught and then tackled right there. And it still would have been a good pass. Yeah. Nine tackles for Dax, including, including some punishing hits on Perkins. He that one sack where we kind of came under Perkins and then Dax came down on top of him. That was crushing. And there was a couple other really hard hits on him. And and to his credit, Perkins hung in there and just kept playing like nothing happened to him at all. I did think it was Dax's maybe best game of the season. He was making plays all over the field and he also struggled early in the year. And we talked about Farley getting better throughout his career. Dax was going backwards on plays against ODU and and early in the year, and it wasn't looking good. And he got better and better each week. And I, I really do think he played an outstanding game. He even took Perkins down kind of in the open field at one point. Uh, so I, I was happy to see how he played and how Crawford played. He had two and a half tackles for loss on a gimpy ankle, and he is so good. I cannot yeah. wait to see him next year come back healthy. Because he is ferocious in the middle line as and has improved all year long as well. Yeah. I do want to hop over to offense because I have a, a good amount to say that was actually really positive about this game for the offense. But I'll say the one thing on defense that really killed me, everybody was tweeting out the same thing. Like, spy the quarterback, spy the quarterback, spy the quarterback. And it took us a while to adjust to that, which was really frustrating, but they had no other run threat. They only had two threats in this game. One was Perkins and two was however many people you put in the wide out position, whether it's a tight, tight end, et cetera. There were two threats that we had to subdue in this game. And for the first part of the game, we didn't subdue one of them. And in the second part of this game, we didn't subdue the other one. And that's yeah. frustrating. Like they had nothing else. There was nobody else running the ball. And that that honestly frustrated me a little bit. I love Bud to death, but that that made me a little bit just like you only have to take care of these five people that are on the field and just watch them. Mm-hmm. And we gave it up in two different ways. Yeah. It and uh, I do think there was I don't I don't know how to explain it. How do you how do you let UVA score on their last five drives? Literally the last five drives, they scored on every single one. How do you not stop them once? The defense just they weren't the same out there that we've seen the last two. That we just had two shutouts. Yeah, I talked about the yards per play being the fifth worst we've had in ten seasons. We just came off two of the best out of the five in ten seasons. Like what the hell happened? It can't just be Caleb Farley. It has to be some type of preparation or strategy that just went completely wrong. And if you're dropping your linebackers and creating gaping holes on the first drive of the game for Bryce Perkins, that's a bad strategy. That was a bad idea when we know 
He's not a great passer. Like, yeah, he did pass well late in the game. When this game started, that's not what the stats are telling you. So why are you dropping your linebackers in coverage when you know he can run right up the middle? And the, the, the gap on the one play, oh my God, you could have driven a bus through it. It was ridiculous. Bud had a scheme. I believe in him more than anybody else. And it just, maybe he just got out schemed in this game. Maybe that happened. It happens to good coaches, happens to great coaches. You just saw what happened to Saban and he'll go down as one of the greatest coaches ever against Auburn. So like, I, I'm not that mad about it. I was just like frustrated watching the game and the way that it ended up playing out. But I do want to hit on some of these notes. Yeah. Let's if do you it. don't mind on, on the passing and, and the, really the, the run game is more than anything else, because I think it's got a lot of hope for, for the future. Hendon hooker. He threw one interception. People will call it two. It was one interception. He threw a Hail Mary. So, you know, he still has one interception in all of his starts. His press conference, I haven't listened to it yet. Everything that I've read about it, everything I've seen, the quotes were amazing in terms of him taking just responsibility and being very mature. I, I think it's incredible to have him a part of this, part of this program. On the handoff versus keep, I went both ways when I watched this game. So on like th- two or three plays, he kept instead of handing it off and got ran right into the teeth of this UVA defense. But then it set up the long run later on where he actually went for you know the touchdown. So at first I, I kind of went both ways on that. I don't know how you felt about it, but that, that was my thought in, in just that portion of the QB run game. Early in the game, I felt like it wasn't quite on point, whether we were giving it away too much or him keeping it too much, just something wasn't quite right. And UVA seemed to really know all of our tricks. They they just seemed very dialed into whatever the heck we were doing. And we saw us in the second half go a little bit more towards the passing game, which is what we talked about in the previous podcast, is that you got to expose the secondary in this game, our typical jet sweep, misdirection offense might not work so well and in the beginning of the game it wasn't working well though later on it did kind of come back and something hooker was doing happened like happened to change that and it might have been just that keep when he ran for the touchdown it might have just changed the perception of the defense a little bit i'm not exactly sure what the hell happened with that but the read option game it wasn't working well in the first half at all and then all of a sudden we were hitting Hazleton, hitting Turner, making runs in the run game, getting it out in the flat to Tavion. Like it, it was looking like we've looked the last couple of weeks. Overall, I thought Hendon didn't have his best game, but he still played fairly well. The interception, it was it was a bad interception. It was, it ended up being pretty costly, but that was after two false starts. Yeah. So that was it was a false start and then another false start that backed him up to 10 yards and the next play was an interception. So listen, that that is a team problem. That is not just a hand and hooker problem. Like he he was on what first and 20 on that pass or, or, or I think it was at that point. So it was yeah, it was like I, third and 19 or something like that. Yeah, it was that was that was brutal. I don't really, you know, I thought he had a good game. Excited for the future with him. We only threw to we only had completions to four wide receivers. So this is this is skinny down as the year has gone down gone on. 
we went from eight to like seven to six to five. You can look at the stats. I'll post them on Twitter if anybody wants to see them. But every week, the completions, I'm not saying passes attempt, completions have gotten to fewer and fewer and fewer players, which that that makes sense with a young quarterback. You're going to rely on the people that you're comfortable with. That's that's not enough. Like that isn't enough. That that shows a problem that we have in the past game because Fuente has said from day one, I want eight people out there, maybe more, that can be out there catching passes and things like that four in this game. I don't know how he could ever expect that to happen with how much he runs the quarterback. I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like with the read option game and how prevalent it is, I, I can't see us ever consistently getting seven or eight wide receivers the ball. That's just not going to happen. Well, uh, it's fine, but I think it shows that I think it shows a talent discrepancy in what we have out on the field. Honestly, well, there between... are two guys that are standing far above everyone else at the wide receiver position. And unfortunately, yeah, I agree with you. No one else has stepped up. There's Phil Patterson has disappeared. Grimsley has disappeared. It's it's Tavion right here. And then a notch ahead of them is Hazleton and Turner. And everyone else is a distant second at the wide receiver position. And that's fine for now. But, you know, the guys need to develop. Phil Patterson hasn't gotten any better in, in three years. And uh, that, but that's a conversation for a different day. I don't know what happened to Hezekiah Grimsley this year, but I don't, I'm not sure he even stepped on the field in this game. Yeah, I don't think he did. The catches made by Hazelton, I thought were really impressive, along with the passes. On the outside, the only person that could catch them was Hazelton. No chance of interceptions on a lot of the, none of them were fade routes. They were out routes that he could, he could catch perfectly. And Turner, into the double coverage, and this is why I kicked I kicked what you brought up earlier. That double coverage catch that he made was incredible. And he even made an incredible catch on the one that he fumbled. It was he was in heat just getting demolished by two guys at the same time. He caught it perfectly and it got it got knocked out. It happens. It's football. Robinson Keene were the only other two people to get a catch. And Robinson is done. I do want to hit the running backs really quick. Robinson, I know it's not the appropriate time. How good is he in return? It is rec- incredible how fast. Yeah, well, he is. our special teams in this game were awesome. If you did the King return, the Robinson returns, the kicker, the punter, I mean, everyone. We we played an outstanding special teams game, and that's that's nice to know for the future too. Uh, and Tavion's absolutely a weapon back there. You said you wanted to get into the run game. Uh, McLeese had a nice game. A- outside of the missed block on the sweep play, which you could contribute to a very, very good linebacker play for UVA, he had 86 yards rushing, 5.4 yards per carry, and a touchdown. And a lot of those were hard yards that he went for. Like, really, he went between the tackles, just bulldozing. And I thought he was down at the line of scrimmage and he hauled off six yards, seven yards. It happened on probably four or five plays that he really ran hard. He showed speed on the outside on a couple plays. I don't think he gets enough love for how much he's improved year over year and see, you know, in game over game in what he's doing. And then now that we're keeping with the run game, Turner is. 
people might hate it, but he is so good in, in, in that, in that sweet play. He's so fast. He had a touchdown that got negated and pulled back in a really nice run. He's so fast on, in that run game. I don't know where that came from. I think you were joking around about earlier, like Turner has almost as many runs as he has, you know, passing catches, but he looks so good in it. He's so fast and he can get downfield so quickly on that, that sweep. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. He had 134 yards on seven receptions. That's the most receptions and most yards of his career. He added the 25 rush yards it got to 760 total yards on the year and five touchdowns. We we probably expect a little bit more from Trey, but I still think he had a nice year considering the QB change and our offense kind of shifting. 33 receptions and 22 rushes on the season. So that ratio is something we never would have expected. I think we all would have thought he would have had 50 catches and maybe 12 rushes on the year. And he is subjecting himself to a little bit more abuse in the run game. And it's not necessarily something you want to see for our speedy, lanky wide receiver. It's, it's not, it's, you should be using it more seldomly in my opinion. However, he does have 9.9 yards per carry and we were trying to muster any offense this second half of the season. So you got to do what you got to do. And next year we'll probably see that change a little bit. How'd you feel about the offensive line? The line was not so good. <laughs> I, I this this I mean, was a we're, huge. We're not French out here, so we don't. He'll diagnose it if anybody wants to read. Well, read that. But I, the I, defense I had six sacks. What what do you you know? What do you want me to say? There was pressure all day. Uh, we were able to get some running game here and there, uh, but yeah, it wasn't a good day by the offensive line. And with UVA's front seven. That was to be expected. We knew that they were an aggressive, ferocious, ball-hawking kind of defense, and uh, it was going to be a tough test for them, and it really, really was. And it showed that we've got three freshmen on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I, I tweeted it out. I was, I was upset about it. Looking back at the game, some of those rushes came from like linebackers off on the outside. And that blocking responsibility is not necessarily the offensive line. That's a that's on halfbacks. That's on you know tight ends. That's so I I feel bad about putting it all on them. But it wasn't great. And Hooker is still people may not like this a young quarterback. And once he started getting pressure, I feel like he started getting like kind of just a little bit shaky. And no more so than on the fumble for the touchdown at the end of the game where Hooker, all he needs to be thinking about right there is I'm either making the pass or I'm throwing it out of bounds. And the speed rush took him down for that that fumble and he tried to hold on to it. I I, I think that the that's equally on the offensive line, you know, the tight ends that should be blocking better and on hooker. And that's the maturity I'm hoping to see going into next year. Yeah. Overall, I thought the offense was pretty solid, but just mistake prone. And the third down thing absolutely came back to haunt us in this game. We were only four of 15 on third down. There were some long ones in there and just lots of penalties and lots of weird stuff that happened that, you know, we had points taken off the board that you had alluded to. So it was a solid performance. You look at the yardage. I mean, we didn't get 
outgained by very much, and we had a lot more first downs, but UVA was able to get the big explosive plays, and we had fewer of those by a long shot, and we just made too many mistakes. By my count, it was it was something along, you know, it was plus 14 points that we left on the board. We had two drives that stalled, that shouldn't have draw, stalled. I think both of those were caused by penalties. One of them was a touchdown that got pulled back that we ended up getting. Yeah. It, it, was, it was brutal in getting the field goal out of that. That was eight points. There was another seven points that we left out on the field. We had two, two calls that were the, the, the Hazleton catch. Yeah, I don't know how that got inexplicable. Like, the whole rule is that it has to be like, like no doubt, like that that definitely indisputable evidence. Yes. Yeah, and so I would have been fine if they were like, "Hey, the they should have said it's confirmed." Uh, then I was fine with like, "Hey, it stands." Stands being yeah. we don't have enough evidence to overturn it. That was ridiculous. We had there was pass interference calls. I, I'm not blaming our loss on the refs. I'm just saying we left a lot out on the field that I think could have made this into like a seven point win with, with no problem because a lot of those turned into points the other way for UVA. The whole day, I think just kind of felt after those first two long runs that things are just pushing in UVA's direction. I'm not saying that we didn't get any calls the rest of the game. It just felt like on the whole, things were kind of bouncing their way and Mm. it was a close enough margin that that, could be the difference and and it was and they played really hard and they made a lot of their own luck yeah i mean it absolutely was like that hooker fumble was was the six points was in an anomaly that i think could have been avoided if you take that off the field this is a three-point game and those plays could have swung this game either way and if you listen to anybody talk about that actually cares about the all of college football talk about this game. They said it was an awesome game. Like it was really exciting. The whole thing was I tweeted out the same. It was a great football game. We just were so close. And guess what? In last year, we were that close to losing and should have lost. And this year we were that close to this game being very different and it didn't go our way. Like I said before, it just felt like UVA won the game more than we lost it, and that's probably how I'm going to prefer to think about it. You got to feel a little bit bad for Bud because we didn't only lose the streak, but we lost because the D really didn't play very well. Like The offense probably played well enough for us to win, but we were just getting torched on defense the entire game. We should appreciate the 15-year streak. Uh it was the longest in college football at the time. And what does that mean? It means that it's going to end sooner than later, right? <laughs> we just got that mantle because two, I think it was 14-year streaks, 15-year streaks had just ended. And, of yeah. course, the 31-year streak by Florida, which I have no idea how a team in the same conference loses to another team in football 31 straight years. That's just completely bizarre. But most of them – don't get past the 12, 13, 15. And we we got to 15. And it's historic. We At the time it happened, uh, we had the longest streak against an every year opponent in the country. And losing it sucks. But 
I'm, I'm appreciative that we kept the bowl streak alive last year because really these last two seasons, you could only ask to win one of those games. <laughs> and we won the one that kept the bowl streak alive. I'm not sure right at this moment if I'd trade it, but I don't think that I would. No, I love I love the bowl streak. I think it's it's fun. It's exciting. Here's how I equate it. And I know people are so people probably hate me because I'm not as pent up about this UVA game as everybody else is. Like I don't hate it as much as everybody else does. I don't, you know, have the vitriol that some people do. But imagine sitting around bowl season and not seeing Virginia Tech in a game. Just imagine that for just like one second. Think about all these teams are playing, everybody's in a bowl, and then you're not there. It, it's underappreciated. In It's easy to get into bowl these days. It used to be a lot harder as they've expanded bowls. But just imagine, that actually makes it worse. Imagine not getting into bowl now when it's almost a cakewalk for most yeah, teams well, that are competent to get in. But if you go through the teams that are not making a bowl this year and think about that for a second... I would not trade it. Yeah, and people say it's easy to get into a bowl. And on a season-to-season basis, you're right. It's not. You only need six wins. But to do it over five years, 10 years, 15 years, it's hard. Not many teams do it. Not many high-power teams and big conferences can do it. Very rarely can teams string together 10 seasons where they make a bowl. It does not happen nearly as often as you think. Many teams bottom, and by bottom might be five wins. It might be four wins. But that's Notre Dame won four wins two seasons ago, you know, or three seasons ago. It happens to the best programs with the best talent, and it hasn't happened to us. And that is amazing. It is amazing, and it's nothing short of that. You can say it's easy to get into a bowl. It is not easy to string together this many seasons, half as half this many seasons getting into a bowl. It's just it's not easy at all. So I love the streak. I'm glad we kept it alive last year. And and honestly, if you were going to say, well, we could have won both years. Yeah, well, we really should have lost both years. <laughs> we really should have lost last year and lost this year. But we got lucky. We had a horseshoe up our butt last year, and we won the game. And so, yeah, this one's really tough to take. It sucks. I'm still mad about it. But I'm trying to focus on what we accomplished this season, over the seasons, and not focus on where we came up short. Bryce Perkins is a great player. He was probably going to get a win. And the only reason they got a win these two seasons was because of him. That team is so mediocre without him, and he's going to be gone next year. So we have that to look forward to. Uh, But from the freshmen and sophomores learning how to play together, overcoming adversity, the back-to-back shutouts over division opponents, while Bud's in his stretch run, they almost won the damn division. You know, with, with three freshmen on the offensive line, and freshmen and sophomores all over the field. It's it's pretty cool what they did this year. Don't be so rational. That's <laughs> that's all I can say to that. It, it, it's it's the truth. I, I said, you know, I'll, I'll I'll I tweeted to Joe and I actually called him the day after the game, and I, I said to him, not everything has to be so black and white. Like it doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be. Everybody needs to be fired or everybody has to stay on the program. We have to win every game. We have to lose every game. And he was like, yeah, I agree. Like it doesn't have to be black and white. It can be a good season 
without us accomplishing all the goals that we wanted to accomplish. That's just how I feel about it. And people might be angry about that and say that UVA is the biggest game. And if we won that and lost all the other 11, then they would be fine with it. I promise you that's not the case. No, that if, that, that, that would that be horrible. If, yeah. And people that say that, I don't think they actually have thought through what their mentality would be after the game. We, we lost. That's it. Own it. Let's move on. And let's, um, let's see this team have a great bowl game, mature. And I'm excited about next year, honestly. So I'm going to be pumped up about that. All right, let's do a quick beer break before we talk ball projections and uh, defensive coordinator quickly. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? I'm drinking the Double Dead Squirrel Double IPA from Chubby Squirrel. Were you the oh, one nice. that brought this up to me? Yes, two two podcasts ago. I, did, I had. Did you have squirrel. the same beer though? No. Oh. Uh, I love the brewery. It's a great atmosphere. Good place. You probably see where I'm going with this. We brought our daughter there. The people are amazingly nice. The beer is not so good. Uh, so it's not great. <laughs> How many did he try? Uh, just one. I, I, they had all sorts of saisons and sours and things that I don't really get into. So I don't like trying a brewery where I don't drink what I like because then I had come in with like a negative connotation just off the bat. But... I will say my wife had the mead. They have four different types of mead. This is me giving a shout out, even though I'm saying this. this and mead is gluten-free, correct? Yes. And she said it was amazing. It was like so good, so delicious. She loved it. So I wouldn't go for this particular beer there, but if you like mead and she said it tasted like it was very light and it was still 12.5%. So if you're looking to go get your significant other, uh, you know, out and, and rowdy and see what they're going to do, this is the place to go because their mead was outstanding. Well, I had the Citra ass down two podcasts ago, and I thought it that was a really good beer. I don't know if you happen to get that one specifically or not. I'd like to go down there and check it out at least, but uh, the, you're having a double, did you say? Yeah, they only had it in cans, so I looked up on the board, and it was... Saison, sours, kind of all through. They didn't have a port. I was hoping for a porter or like a stout. They didn't have either of those. So it was a very, they had a triple up there. Nothing that I normally drink. And I was like, oh. And then I looked in their fridge and they had cans of, of doubles. So I figured I'd go with the beer that I know pretty well by most people that listen to this podcast. And it it's, it's not great, but it's also, they're putting it in cans, so they're not putting it up on the board. So it's not what they, you know, they, they're they trying to put out there as their best beer. So in any case, awesome place. The people were amazing. Go there. And if you like any of those types of beers during the winter, I'm sure it changes during the seasons um, as you move into summer and things like that. Yeah, you got to try some of the other beers that Robert didn't try. See if you guys like it any better. That's right. I am drinking the Breckenridge Vanilla Porter. I'm sure I've had this on the podcast, but it was the only porter I had in my fridge, and I, it's December, so that's what I wanted to drink, and I'm really enjoying it. Breckenridge is a very solid brewery. I've come to like their stuff more and more, and uh, this one, it's it's something I would buy a six-pack of and keep it in my fridge. I really enjoy it. The Vanilla Porter from Breckenridge. 
All right, let's talk about the bowl projections. I There's a million places you can go to look at where we're going to be headed for the bowl game. But I think the most likely outcome is the Belk Bowl. That's where Stuart Mandel put us, and that's where Joe Giglio put us. He's like the, the ACC expert on bowls that most of us follow on Twitter. And Mandel had us playing UCF, which I think would be kind of interesting, and Giglio had us playing Kentucky. Now, that was before the college football playoff rankings came out today, but I don't think that's going to change too much. There were a few projections for Music City, a few for the Pinstripe, uh, and a few more for Belk. And depending on who the Orange Bowl were to take, whether it's an SEC team or a Big Ten team, that could open up the possibility for us to go to the Citrus Bowl or the Camping World Bowl. But I think that is a much less likely scenario. Yeah, so I think... I think yeah, you're 100% right that we should just we're probably Belk Bowl bound is where I would put it is I would love to see us kind of move up into those one of those others but I think it takes like kind of three or four strange moves for everybody and outcomes for us to end up in one of those others but I, I wouldn't hate it but I, I just don't think it's going to end up playing out that way. Would you rather go to the Belk Bowl or the Music City Bowl? I'd rather go to the Music City Bowl because I might actually go to that. The Versus you and I went to the Belk Bowl together. The Music City Bowl is supposed to be an awesome time. Like mm-hmm. I've heard nothing but great things about that and the location, everything that they have going on there. So I, I know... I think most people think of it as like a little bit of a step down from the Belk Bowl in terms of like what you're going up against. But the team took a step down, so let's just have fun this year. Let's yeah. just go have like a good time. Um, that said, the Twitter presence is going to be so much better if we make it to the Belk Bowl. <laughs> the Belk Bowl does have one of the best Twitter handles on Twitter of, of any of the bowl games, that's for sure. I think the Music City Bowl would be really cool because Nashville is a cool town. I don't think I'd necessarily attend. I might, but I probably wouldn't. One thing you have to remember, next year we obviously have the game against Penn State, but the weekend before that or maybe after, we play Middle Tennessee State and Murfreesboro. Yeah, I think it's before. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, is like 30, 45 minutes from Nashville. So – you might get a chance to go to Nashville next year if you were to go to the Middle Tennessee State game if we don't make the uh, Music City Bowl. So you'll have your chance. Yeah, and on top of that, a bunch of people on like SiriusXM, everybody, uh, forgetting his name, but are all middle, middle Tennessee huge like fans, grads, things like that. So we'll be getting a ton of coverage going into the year because it's going to be their first first game of the year. I think it's the first game. We'll find out if we're wrong for, you yeah. know, probably quickly after we get done with this podcast. All right, let's talk about the defensive coordinator hire a little bit. I'm not sure what your expectations were on when it would be announced, because obviously we've known Bud was going to retire for the whole season. Did you expect that Monday morning we're going to wake up and get the announcement, or did you think it was going to be after the championship games? Do you think it was going to be after signing day? Like, when did you think it was going to happen? And when I say signing day, I mean the early signing day, which uh, is in two weeks. It's December 18th it starts. Yeah, I'm thinking about your question. I there There's rumors out there that recruits already know who it is. 
that those are rumors, completely speculative rumors from people that are somewhat tied into the program. I, knowing the way that Wit operates, this isn't very different than the way he's operated with everything. He takes his time. He figures out the Fuente move was very quick, but he already knew like what was going on with Beamer. I guess you could say the same thing about Bud, but, and I guess in that respect, maybe I thought it was going to come out earlier. I, I, I don't feel like there's any downside if we already have the person and I'm going full circle, so I apologize for the confusion. I don't think You're there's talking any yourself down- through it. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any... Well, I didn't know you were going to ask this question. I didn't know there was any downside to announcing it today and having somebody basically be locked in with Bud, you know, kind of talking, mm-hmm. getting things... Almost the way that Fuente and Beamer were, you know, when, when that was announced. It was announced really quick, if you remember. I remember the bar that I was at that it was announced. So... I don't think there would be any downside to announcing it earlier, which leads me to think that they don't know yet. Yeah. That's the only, that's, that's, what that's kind of where I go to. And the difference between this and the Fuente hire is that that was the head coach. We, we have a head coach. We have consistency in the program. We don't necessarily need to move super, super quick when we already still have the head honcho. I think it would have been, if they had it, they would have announced it by now. So I think when Ryan Odom got fired from Memphis and you see other shoes dropping, um, you know, more calls are made, more interviews are had. There's more vetting going down because why with such an important hire and knowing you already have the head coach, why would you limit the pool to people who are only available during the season? You know, there's always unexpected firings and there's always – new guys that come in the market you wouldn't have expected. So it it doesn't surprise me that it's taking longer. However, we both had been hearing whispers that like it was decided. Like it, we kind of knew who it was going to be and maybe it was going to be Justin Hamilton getting a promotion from within. I think that they're doing their due diligence on some of the guys that just got uh, the ax, such as Ryan Odom, who was Fuente's defense coordinator at Memphis. And he is, he's not going to have just one job opportunity, I would imagine. He, he seems like a pretty solid coach. So I, I feel like he's kind of a hot commodity. So this might not happen as quickly as we want it to. But I could see Odom being the guy for us, a defensive coordinator. Yeah, and there's been some people that have come out like ripping on Odom and about him getting fired. So to, to pull the full story around that, which is ridiculous. First of all, the sanctions were you had to overcome all the sanctions at Missouri, which were well-documented. Just go online, type in Missouri sanctions and everything that had to go through there. Second, it sounded like he played at least from, you know, what we hear from podcasts and things like that, that he went for kind of a vote of confidence, didn't get it, then said he was going to get fired. And then they found out like, about that they weren't happy it's a weird situation that happened with him and it was it's been weird and you remember all the missouri it's been weird since pinkle decided to retire right yeah but But in case it's they promoted him from defensive coordinator to head coach and it was never quite right yeah it was always weird so that being an indictment on him i don't really i don't agree with whatsoever so i he did well he has done well 
I think that would be a great hire. I don't I don't know who it's going to be. I do think that Witt has been dealt some really he's been dealt with really three hard coaching decisions in terms of having influence. This one comes down to the head coach. That's who's going to make the decision. But he had to hire somebody after Beamer. He had to hire somebody after Buzz took us out of the dumpster fire that Virginia Tech basketball was. And now he has to replace Bud Foster. And each time he's been methodical and calculated. And most people have said he picks a guy and that's who he goes with. He does not screw around. This isn't Tennessee. This isn't Mm -hmm. like the programs that kind of just, you know, date a lot of people. He picks a guy that he wants. And that makes me think they don't have the guy right now because I think he would pull the trigger. That's an interesting Larry though. You said, because it might not be Witt's decision this time. I mean, I'm sure he's involved, but it falls more on Fuente. And so maybe that's not why it says it's not as quick as we thought. Essentially, like, I would argue that point th- 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 against that because Bud is not the other defensive coordinators in the entire country. He is big to the boosters. He's big to the program. He's going to end up having a statue probably outside the stadium. Eventually, he, it, most defensive coordinator conversations don't involve the AD. They they need approval maybe from the AD, but Bud is a different breed like that this is one of the biggest replacements if beamer was the biggest this is what a half a notch down from that and it matters to everybody in the program normally boosters don't care about who your defensive coordinator is it's like hey bring in somebody good offensive coordinator hey bring in somebody good this actually has tangible influence on fundraising donations the football program the legacy everything He's got his damn flag up in in the middle of Lane Stadium at this point. And that's the one thing that I think might Wit might put a little bit more hands-on touch on this one than you would see anywhere else in a, a coaching hire. That could be true. The other candidates that everyone's talking about is Torian Gray, obviously our old secondaries coach who is at University of Florida and has a good track record in the sport. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's very unlikely, but people seem to really want it to happen. Some parts of the fan base. So we'll see there. Some of the Clemson assistants have been rumored. I I mentioned Justin Hamilton. I don't think he's ready for such a big job, especially replacing bud. But I think it's a guy that this staff and wit both really like and want to keep around regardless of who the new DC is. We'll see what happens there. Glenn Schumann, the co-DC at Georgia, is another name that's been floated around for a long time. I would love that, by the way. I I don't think we can get that, but that would be amazing in terms of what he's been able to put out on the field. But I think that's a that's that's probably asking too much. That's yeah, like I mean, Brent, Sh- is Brent Venables coming? Yeah, it, Schumann, Torian Gray, Barry Odom, like. They'd all be good options. They they would all be good options. The the benefit with Odom is that he's done it. You know it, these other guys. Schumann he's a co defensive coordinator that yeah. and a linebackers coach. It's a little bit different than being a defensive coordinator and having really good defenses and then being a head coach. That's fair. O, Odom is overqualified for the position, and I, I that's who I would want. I think, 
But there's a lot of good options out there, and I have confidence that Witt and Justin probably making this decision together will get someone good in there. It's hard to say whether they're going to be the ace recruiter that everyone wants or or whatever else. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that. But it's always exciting to get you know someone new in the program and see what they're capable of. Obviously, we're going to miss Bud like crazy, but this is an interesting new chapter of Virginia Tech football, and I'm curious to see where they go with the decision. No. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm excited. I just hope people are a little bit more level-headed than we were against our basketball hiring coach. It's like he can't yeah. recruit. And then, I mean, was that our best recruiting class in a long time? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So sometimes you can surround yourself with the people that can help make up your deficiencies yeah. is probably the, the, you know a good way to think about it. I just don't want any hot takes like, this guy sucks. He's not good. Uh, yeah. If I truly believe in my heart of heart that if Witt makes a decision on a guy, he may not be perfect. He may not lead us to a national championship, but he'll be good for the program. And you could say the same about Fuente. Like, he may not be what you want. He's not Dabo. He's not like, but he's good for the program in the sense that we're winning games. We don't have a, a one in 11 season. So I think he'll help Fuente make the right decision that has both a legacy impact and a football impact. And Bud's going to be involved in that as well. All right, let's move on to the picks because we got championship weekend coming up and some really important games. Let's start with your team. Number five, Utah playing Oregon. Number 13, Utah is six and a half point favorites. I'll let you go first. I'm going emotional this week, so I'm just going to go Utah. There's not going to be – this isn't going to be scheme-based, uh, I think, on this this week. I'm going to take Oregon, though Utah has been has been crushing people. I'm going to take Oregon to cover. Next game, Baylor versus Oklahoma. Uh, the reason that we're doing this one next is because it's linked to that first one. Number seven, Baylor playing number six, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, nine-point favorites. That's, that's interesting because of the way the last game went and the way – Oklahoma was kind of struggling down the stretch, uh, save for the Oklahoma State game, which they played very well in. I'm going to take Baylor to cover the nine. Yeah, I took Baylor. Cincinnati and Memphis playing for the second week in a row. We got the AAC championship. Number 20, Cincinnati is playing number 17, Memphis. This is now Memphis nine-and-a-half-point favorites this time at home. This is to make it to a New Year's Day Bowl, I believe. If you, whoever yeah, wins if, this is going to make it to a New Year's Day Bowl. Yeah, they will be the highest-ranked group of five team, uh, barring something really weird happening if they win this game. I'm going Memphis. I'm sticking on that high-powered offense train. You know, last week I took Memphis because – and I might have switched my pick during the week, but I think I took Memphis later in the week because I was like, well, what does Cincinnati? What does this matter? Because Cincinnati's already locked in, so like, why would they have to play hard in the uh, in the game before the championship game? This week, they both have to play hard, and they know it. So I think I'm going to take Cincinnati. And oh, I'm sorry. So they're playing at the Liberty Bowl back to back weeks. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's got to be it's the home and home, pretty much. Next game, Georgia versus LSU. Number four, Georgia, and number two, LSU. LSU is seven-point favorites. I'm going to go LSU. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I already made all my picks, so normally I try and do it on the fly, but I did them earlier today. So I already had LSU, so I'm sticking with it. That offense is, it's not even, it's getting better week by week, which is just ridiculous. It, and the defense got better. They played Texas A&M, right? And they played well in that game. Yeah, it, I, this could screw up a lot of things for the playoff Um just in terms for OU and Utah, but I, I don't know if Georgia's got the offense to to keep up with LSU. That's why I picked LSU. Next game, UVA against Clemson. Hopefully the 28.5-point line makes you feel better about not being in the game. Uh, Clemson, 28.5-point favorites going up against number 23, UVA. Uh, I'll take Clemson. I, not just because of the narrative of the podcast when the one time I didn't pick Clemson uh I lost but they're they're deep stats today that I was listening to on the podcast on the way home they're they're number three in offense and they're number like top three in offense and top three in defense in the nation so I know you're you're on the kick that they haven't played anybody but that's really hard to do I think they if you only have one threat that's Perkins we do not have the team necessarily talented enough to stop that. They absolutely have the defense talented enough to stop that. So I it's that is a lot of points, but I'm gonna stick with the narrative since I got burned by it. Yeah, what I was saying, I think via text was just that Clemson is yeah. by far the most untested playoff team that we'll have. Even if they win this game, they have been they haven't beaten Anybody. any team, I think, like in the top twenty-five, yeah. like uh, of S and P or anything, like any any rankings. I mean, I know UVA is twenty-three right now, but if you go by more advanced metrics, they're not top twenty-five in just about anywhere. No, you're right. Uh, and yes, Clemson hasn't beaten anybody, and after this game, that will still be true. <laughs> UVA is not anybody um, in terms of caliber of team. So yeah, I'm going to take Clemson. I'm not saying that UVA couldn't keep it a little bit closer. Their defense is pretty damn good, but it's hard to not go with the Clemson cover train, even at 28 and a half points, which in a championship game is embarrassing for the coastal. It really is. I think their average win per on the year it came out today was 38 points is what they've averaged from beating every team by. So I, that's I the thing. You don't be- have to play anyone good. But you can still be good. Like they're yes. they're crushing everybody. So yeah, they're not playing anybody, but it doesn't mean they're not good. Yeah, I think that's going to be the funnest part of the playoff for me is seeing what happens when they play somebody good. And next game, Ohio State playing Wisconsin. Number one, Ohio State, and the new number eight, Wisconsin, playing for the Big Ten championship. Ohio State sixteen and a half point favorites. I have to go Ohio State with this. Yeah, I do as well. Chase Young didn't even have a good game last week, and they still demolished Michigan. It's like it just it just keeps rolling. So yeah, we can all hate them. I thought um, Michigan was, might get that cover, and that was just stupid in retrospect. Like uh, Ohio State's just too good. Why 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 would they not cover now? Uh, especially in a championship game, why would they not cover sixteen and a half points? Maybe they rest all their players. I guess getting. But they have like a month off before the playoffs start, so they don't even need to have to rest anybody. 
All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. I don't know if you had any final thoughts on just the season as a whole or or uh, the streak ending or whatever, but I'm looking forward to the bowl game. I want to play another game to get the UVA taste out of my mouth, but it's uh, it was a fun season, um, really bizarre and made me feel things I, I didn't want to feel and then regretted feeling and just a strange season. But ultimately, an 8-4 one game below my record prediction, not too far from where I thought they'd be. I, I There were injuries and there was youth on the offensive line that I was not expecting, and that hurt us. But a pretty successful season despite the weak schedule and, and despite some early struggles. No, I'd agree with that. And I, I don't have many other thoughts. I had them at 10-2 and two and... I feel like I was off by a year because if we return everybody, then the schedule outside of playing Penn state next year is not going to be that vastly improved. So I, I was wrong. I'll, I own it. I'll, I'll eat my shoe. And I thought they would, they played well and they developed over the season. Even in that UVA loss, you could see the team maturing, which I thought was really impressive. True. And we'll, we'll give more of a uh, overall season recap at some point, whether it's in the bowl recap or a little bit in the bowl preview. Uh, we'll get to it at some point. And I'm not sure if we'll do like a quick 30-minute podcast just recapping the bowl layouts next Sunday night. Uh, I'll talk to Robbie this week and we'll make a decision on that. But we, we'll be getting something out to you in the not-too-distant future if not. Uh, make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2DVT on Instagram and 2DVT.com is the website. You can also email us anything at 2DVT at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening to us all season. We we know there's a lot of other places you can get your uh, hokey podcast fix. There's a lot of new ones starting up, it seems like, every week. But we've been here for a while, and if you've been listening to us, we definitely appreciate it. We broke... Every download record we have this year, whether it was a daily record, a monthly record, a weekly record, we broke them all, and the yearly record is currently being shattered as well. So it's been it's been a great year for downloads and a fun year for Hokie Sports going to the Sweet 16 and you know, saying goodbye to Bud and all this kind of stuff. It's it's been a it's been a cool season to cover it for you guys. I don't really have much else to say. I just appreciate you guys listening. And until next time. Go Hokies.